we have been talking about revival and we've been talking about how revival works in, in our lives. You know, revival is one of those uh, loaded words. When I say revival to people, uh, people, a lot of people think about a lot of different things. Uh, when I ask people to describe revival, most of the time, the answer that I get when I ask people to describe revival is that they, they say to me, revival is like a, a special series of meetings at a church. How many of you, that was your experience maybe growing up in and around church? It was a special series of meetings. There's, there's some of you. Come on, there had to be a few more than that. This is, let me see it. Yeah. Yeah, that's my, that was my experience growing up. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And when I hear revival, I don't, even, I don't even know what that word means. Well, we've been trying to understand as a community, what is revival? Because the truth is, it's not just a special series of meetings where you bring in a really loud guy from out of town who yells at everybody a lot. Revival isn't a, a time when a guy comes in with a shiny suit and, uh, yeah, did y'all ever have that guy, a special shiny suit? I never knew where those guys got those suits from, but I ain't going to lie. There was a time in my life when I first started preaching, I thought I had to have one of those suits. If you saw some pictures of me circa 1989, 1991, it got pretty colorful and bright, I'm just going to say. I would, no, please don't find them. It was, uh, it was rough for a while. But anyways, revival is not that. It's not shiny suits. It's not, it's not a special set of meetings. Actually, actually, revival, what we're discovering is the process of revival. A revival as a concept really was a part of the pattern of life that God had his people in. Here's, here's what I began to become concerned about as a pastor is it almost felt like we had to choose. Are we going to be a revival church or are we going to be a, a, a discipleship church? You know, one of those churches that's just really solid in the word. There's good teaching. There's lots of good processes for people to go through. And it almost felt like you had to choose. And, and it was like a lot of things. It was like a lot of politics today and a lot of everything else. It almost seemed like there's two camps. And there's the revival group of people and there's the discipleship group of people. And, and as a leader, you almost felt like, or I almost felt like I had to choose which camp I was going to be in. But as I began to read the word of God, what I found was that there's a pattern in scripture that God had his people in. And the pattern that God had his people in is a pattern of continual growth and then moments of meeting with him. So there's these daily moments of meeting with him. And then there were these disruptive moments of meeting with him. It was almost as if you're driving the car and you're going along the pathway. And, there, and you know how there are times where you just shift gears and it sort of changes the momentum of the moment. You still have forward direction, but, but the momentum of the moment takes on a different speed. And what I saw in scripture was that over and over and over again, God was continually moving in his people. He was was speaking to his people, but there were moments and times when he said, I'm going to shift gears and I'm going to gather the attention of my people because there's something disruptive that I want to do. Well, what we've been learning from scripture is looking through different episodes is that when is that there are times when these disruptive moments happen and we're trying to define those. We're trying to understand those. Revival, as we understand it from scripture, comes out of, comes out of this idea of 
of we are people who need God. See, a growing awareness of need creates fertile soil for a disruptive move of God. As I've looked at this pattern over and over and over again, it seems as though as God's people are moving through the process of being his people, there are times and seasons where this awareness of need just builds and builds and builds until all of a sudden something springs out of the ground. We learned that a few weeks ago and we've been talking about God, how can you how can you build within me? How can you build within us collectively this this awareness of our need? Disruptive moves of God are the result of birthing prayers. You remember when we talked about that? Throughout my life, and as I've studied church history, what I've seen is that when God's people start to pray as something inside of them is building and they say, we need you, God, we need you, God, we need you, God, something gets birth. We looked at Elijah a few weeks ago, uh, and, then, and then Pastor John followed up and talked to us about Hannah. There's this whole theme of birthing, which is tied to this idea of revival. And when we as God's people, when we as God's people start to pray, when we start to seek his face, stuff happens. Pastor John said this last week, and it stuck with me all week long. He said, all revival begins with a personal revival. can't tell you how many times I've had people come to me and say, man, pastor, I just wish, I wish the church would experience revival like it did, you know, 20 years ago. I wish we would experience moves of God like I experienced when I was a kid. And we put this weight of revival on the somebody else, right? The other entity. But as we look at scripture, corporate moves of God always started when some individual somewhere started having a personal move of God in their heart. That's the pattern of scripture. When somebody somewhere aware of a need, desiring God, somebody somewhere started to pray, started to respond to God, started to talk to God and experience a personal revival. And that personal revival started spilling over into a corporate revival. And then Pastor John said something else as he, uh, as he was moving toward the end of his message last week that it was a light bulb moment with, for me. Uh, he said, a meeting with God is not a negotiation. And I, I, I said it last week at the end of service. I felt like that was so uh, appropriate for us in Durban because I feel like you can't live in Durban unless you know how to negotiate. Everything here is a negotiation. Everything. Man, if you're paying the price on the sticker, you're not a Durbanite. I've learned that. Everything is a negotiation. And the problem is, is we apply that to God. We think everything is a negotiation. And, and I understand that a little bit because it's our tendency to negotiate and we're taught to negotiate. And here in Durban, people get upset with you if you don't negotiate. But here's the thing, God is God. And what I've learned about moves of God in scripture is that moves of God in scripture aren't birthed out of human ne humans negotiating with God. Moves of God happen when humans get out of the way and let God be God. Well, that was good right there. Eight times in scripture, the Bible 
teaches us that God intervened in the birthing of a human being. In other words, there are eight episodes in scripture where we can see that God intervened in, and it's at least recorded eight times in scripture where God actively intervened in someone who wasn't able to get pregnant or in the pregnancy of someone to, so that a child would be born. One of those times Pastor John talked about last week and that was with Hannah and, and when Hannah gave uh, birth to Samuel. We're gonna talk about another one of those episodes in scripture today. If you remember, we talked about from Elijah that revival comes through a birthing moment. And I believe this theme of birthing is a part of the concept and idea of, of revival. And just as Hannah had to experience a move of God to get her to the place where she was, where she was able to have the child Samuel to really birth the man of God that was coming to bring the next move of God, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about a New Testament occurrence in Scripture where almost a very similar thing happened. I want to read to you from Luke chapter one today. We're going to talk about the story of how John the Baptist, of how John the Baptist. Uh, came into being. You, you maybe have heard this story before or maybe you've never heard it. I'm gonna read a lot of scripture today because for those of us who may be unfamiliar with this story, I think it's important that we see really what is going on. For 400 years, God has been silent. If you know your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, as far as recorded prophetic word or when God spoke to his people, the last time God, at this point in history, the last time God had spoken to his people was to a man, a, a, a man, a prophet. It's the, anybody, can anybody tell me who it was? Come on, say it loud. No, no, it wasn't Malachi. It starts with a Z. You may say, why are you making a big deal of this? Because you're going to see something really interesting that happens in Scripture. So for 400 years, Zach, uh, anybody? Okay. Last Old Testament prophet that God has spoken to basically says, listen, these people need to return to me. And there's 400 years, not 40 days, not four months, not four years. 400 years of silence. And then all of a sudden, God decides, I'm gonna disrupt, I'm gonna disrupt what's happening. Luke chapter one, verse five. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah. By the way, the old prophet was Zacharias. Zacharias and Zechariah are actually the same name. One is Greek and one is Hebrew, but it's actually the same name. So there was a prophet named Zacharias, and now there is a priest named Zechariah 400 years later. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife was Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Everyone say old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving 
as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of the power of Elijah." To turn the hearts of the people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in her years. Everyone say old. That wasn't everybody. Everybody say old. And then the angel, then the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. Hello. You better know who I am. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. We've been learning together that revival is a season of God's disruptive movement among his people 400 years before this god spoke to a prophet zacharias and said the people need to return to me and there was 400 years of silence and in that 400 years of silence god's people were going through the process of worshiping offering sacrifices they were going through the process of coming to the temple and learning the torah and doing all of the stuff that they were supposed to do in their spiritual growth and their spiritual development and after 400 years god shows up to a pro- to a priest named zachariah you may say, Pastor, why did you don't usually read that much scripture? I wanted to read it this morning because I want you to understand some stuff that's going on in this scripture. For 400 years, God has been silent, and there is this priest named Zechariah. Zechariah was trained his whole life to be a priest in the temple. You don't, just, you don't just show up and be a priest in the temple. You don't go online and get your, like, priest.com certificate. It is a life of devotion and preparation and in that life of devotion and preparation you serve only after years and years and years do you serve at the temple and when you serve at the temple get this ceremonies that happen every day around 50 priests that would be that would be uh, involved in that process and every every day when it comes time for the various parts of that worship experience to happen you notice in the passage of scripture that lots were thrown to see who did what role and only once in your life as a priest did you receive the opportunity to burn the incense before God. You got to get this. His entire life has prepared him for this 
moment to go meet with God on behalf of the people. Everything in his life has led to this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And when that lot comes on you, that one time, you get one chance to go in and to do what you have been trained your entire life to do. This is your moment to shine. This is your moment to, on behalf of the people, go and burn the incense before the Lord. And all the preparation is happening, and all the people are doing what they're supposed to do, and Zechariah is taking his incense before the Lord, and he comes before the altar of the Lord. And the Bible says that Gabriel appears. It's interesting, the language uh, that Scripture uses about which side of the altar uh, that Gabriel appeared on because in angelology, uh, in Jewish angelology, uh, Gabriel appeared on the wrong side of the altar that he would ordinarily appear. Something disruptive and unique was happening. Also, in their theology and belief system, Zechariah would have been in a moment where to see the Lord meant that his life was over. To see the angel of the Lord meant that it's all over for me. There could have been nothing more anticipated and yet nothing scarier than this moment for him. And nothing would have blown his mind more than the fact that, that the angel appeared on the wrong side of the altar and is basically saying this isn't this isn't normal. This is disruptive. And the angel speaks to him, and get this, the angel speaks to him about his own personal revival, not the revival of the people. You got to get this. He spent his whole life preparing to serve the people but the first thing God says to him after 400 years of silence is, Zechariah, I'm here to bring you your personal revival first. And out of your personal revival will flow revival to the nation. Oh, you got to get this. Zechariah, I've heard your prayer. He wasn't there that day to make his prayer before the Lord. He wasn't there to offer a sacrifice on his behalf and on Elizabeth's behalf. He was there to represent the people. But the God of all creation, your father, the one who created you, the one who called you by name, the same God who loves you and is passionate about you, loved Zachariah and was passionate about him and what is recorded in scriptures, the first time that he spoke in 400 years, he spoke to a father who wanted so desperately to have a child. And he said, I'm here and I see you and I've heard you I've heard you as we started this series one of the things we said is what I believe and what I, I think we can show from scripture is that when God shows up in these disruptive moments that the next revival doesn't look like the last revival. It's something disruptive. It changes things. It shakes up the norm. And if you know anything about what God says to Zechariah, 
in this passage, if you read it and you understand it, what God was saying through the angel Gabriel was that I am sending you a son and his name is going to be John and he's going to be a prophet to the people and he's going to disrupt what has been going on. He's going to change everything. In other words, how I'm about to move is going to look different than how I have been moving. And Zechariah, if you're going to be a part of this next movement that's going to happen, you're going to have to accept that it's going to look different than the last moment. And the interesting thing to me is that it starts, it starts Zechariah with you. It starts with your need. It starts with your need for revival. As Zechariah responds to this moment with the Lord, imagine the angel is speaking to you. Imagine it's your day. It's your moment to do your job. You've been created for this. You've lived your whole life for this. And God flips it. And instead of it being about everybody else, he makes it about you. He makes it personal. He says, if, if I'm going to move among my people, it's going to start with you. And it's going to start in you. And it's going to start through you. The Bible says that Zechariah was terrified. He was troubled. If you, if you go and read that in its original language, it's really, it's kind of, was he, was, he hard, was he angry? Was he upset? Was he disappointed? Was he confused? We don't, his mind was just blown by this moment that he was happening. It was so different than what he had expected. The Lord says, I'm going to do something incredible. And I love Zechariah's response. Well, how do, but how do I know if this is really going to happen? I'm old. My wife's old. What you're telling me is going to happen, that doesn't seem like it can happen from this body. It doesn't seem like it can happen from her body. It seems like we're too old for this. It seems like we don't fit this assignment. It seems like maybe you should have picked somebody else. How do I really know that this is, dude, an angel shows up? How do I really know? We laugh about it. I make a joke. But can you just for a minute, just for a minute, I'm asking you to think about Scripture maybe in a way you've never thought about Scripture before. Because it's easy to read past a moment like that and think, that is silly. That's crazy. How could, he, how could he question the angel of the Lord? It was like Gabriel, right? Like you're in there burning incense and an angel shows up. Don't you, like, isn't that just enough for you? You know what it speaks to? What it speaks to that he would still question God in that moment is just how bad, just how deep, just how much he was hurting over what was not happening in his life. Because you and I, we read that and we think, man, if angel, I would love Gabriel to show up. If God, if Gabriel will show up and just tell me what to do, I'll be all about it. Is it possible that there are places and hurts and pains and dead things and lost things that are so real in our life that even if the angel of the Lord showed up, we would still question God? Do you have something like that in your life? 
Is there a prayer that you've been praying for so long that even when God sends a Pastor John from America to come and preach a sermon that like reads your mail, that you, although you're excited in that moment, you still walk out and you still feel like, man, I'm just not sure if God really has that for me. Is it possible that there are unanswered prayers or pain or situation or 400 years of silence that is built up in your life? Because I don't know, it's easy for me to absolve myself from those moments in Scripture, but I would dare say that there's some things in my life that are so dead, where I hurt so bad, that I don't want to get too haughty and too prideful. In fact, I would say that the truth is I probably have been a lot like Zechariah when God speaks to me and when God is calling me to revival and he's calling me to disruptive moments where I still question God. Zechariah says, how do I know? The angel of the Lord said, well, here's how you're going to know. Here's how, here's how you're going to know. You're not going to be able to talk until the day it happens. Why is that important? All right, think about this for a minute. You've been training your whole life to do something. Only one person is selected at a time to do it, and you only get to do it once in a lifetime, and only certain people have been trained their whole life to do it. Have you ever like done something cool that you've excited that you were excited to do? And then after you do it, the best thing about it is getting to go tell everybody about it. Come on, I know some of you guys. Like you do something really awesome that you've been, you've been training for your whole life. You've been, you've been an opportunity that you've wanted your whole life and you get that opportunity. And the best thing about it is not necessarily getting to do it. The best thing about it is getting to tell the story about when you did it. To get to come out of the meeting where you burn the incense and all of these people, because remember, all of the people who are not priests are never going to get to go where you went. A part of the privilege of being the priest was to go into that place that no one had ever even seen with their eyes. A part of the honor of being the priest was getting to do this job and getting to come out after burning the incense and going home to your wife and say, let me tell you about what it was like to be before the altar of the Lord and burn the incense. And you know, I don't, they probably didn't have telephones back then. Call up the family, whatever you do, and say, oh, I want to tell you about how shiny it was and how beautiful this was and what it it smelled like God said listen it's your big day it's the day you've been training for your whole life but I'm gonna disrupt that I'm gonna disrupt that Zachariah I'm gonna disrupt that because what I'm about to do in you is I'm about to birth through you a mouthpiece and you're not gonna mess that up You probably have never seen that link before. I had never seen it before until getting ready for this. 400 years, God has spoken through Zacharias. 400 years of silence. The first time God speaks, he speaks to Zechariah. Zechariah refuses to say, acknowledge and speak what God is saying. So God says, okay, I'll have some more silence until I birth what it is that I desire to birth. I believe for some of us this morning... What God wants us to hear is that 
He is about to do some things through us in spite of us. See, here's the thing about revival. The nature of God demands that his people live in anticipation of his activity in their lives. And what I've learned from seeing in scripture is that when people of God are not acknowledging the activity of God in their lives, then God goes silent and God says, I'm just going to keep moving and keep moving and keep moving because I expect my people to anticipate my move in their lives. I I expect my people to amplify my mouth. I expect my people to amplify what I'm about to do among them. And when you won't cooperate with me, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm God and you're not. So on his big day, the biggest moment of his life, the angel of the Lord says, you're going to be quiet. And so Zechariah was not able to speak from that moment until John the Baptist was born because God was birthing a mouthpiece and he wasn't going to allow Zechariah to mess it up. See, Church, I believe with all of my heart, we as God's people must be people who are living in anticipation and amplification of the message of God. I believe if we're going to experience revival, if you're going to experience your personal revival, we got to stop talking about those dead things. We got to stop amplifying those dead things. We got to stop speaking about what is not. And we have to become people of faith, people of God, people of the message of God who will speak about those things that are not because we see them, but because God. God said them. Not because it's what I feel or what I think, but because it's God's word. Revival comes as God's people align with his word. But what I love about God is that he is God. And if it takes 400 years, if it takes another six months, he's going to do what he's going to do because he's going to birth his move among his people. And even when I'm stubborn, he's more stubborn. Some of you are some of the most stubborn people. And you have run from the move of God for many years. And God brought you to this church and he brought you to this moment. And you don't, like we put something in those donuts that you don't know about. And so we just keep tricking you back here. And you're like, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know why I keep coming back. I'm kidding. We don't, (laughs) oh no. But it's God just wooing you back because he's more stubborn than you are. And he loves you and he's passionate about you and he desires to birth something through you. And he keeps luring you back. And what he wants to do in your life is so deep and it's so real. And maybe it even disrupts what you thought your life was supposed to be about. You thought your glory was going to be the day that you went in and you burned the incense and you got your once in a life opportunity. And you thought that you were going to have the stage and the platform and the opportunity. And everybody was going to acknowledge how great you were and how much preparation you had put into it. And you had been designing and planning and working your life to get to this certain point and this certain place. But a God who has been 
bigger than you, who knows you better than you know yourself, who's more stubborn than you are, just keeps loving you, just keeps wooing you in. And he's here today and he's in this season in your life to disrupt what you thought was going to happen and to produce through you something that is bigger than you and greater than you. And here's the deal, friend. If you won't align with it, he's big enough. Say, okay then. Okay then. I'll just shut down the noise for a while. I'll just shut down the noise for a while. Because your glory, your glory isn't found in your preparation. Your glory isn't found in your work. It's your identity. Your glory isn't found in your identity. Your glory isn't found in how you build your life. Revival, the move of God, won't be produced by you or by me or by anything that we do. The move of God comes only from God as we align with God. And he's brought you and I to this moment and this place in our life where he's calling us into alignment. But we as his people, we as his people must determine in our hearts that we are anticipating not our glory. We are anticipating the revelation of his glory. Luke chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he's staying in there so long. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them. <laughs> Gabriel, like how do you like sign that? He made signs to them. But remain unable to speak when his time of service, so there was an eight-day cycle that he would have been on as a priest. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and five, for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord had done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Pastor John talked about it last week, so there's not a, there's not a lot, there's not a reason to spend too much time around it. But you just, again, you got to understand the depth of Zechariah and Elizabeth's pain. You just got to understand the Lord has taken away my disgrace. See, the move of God shifts our realities as we respond to what God is saying. And what God is doing. Their reality had been that he had his career, he had his job, he was doing his thing, and he was even at his moment. But even though he was in his moment to shine, he still had a pain that would not go away. And in that moment where the pain wouldn't go away, God showed up and he brought a personal revival so that through that personal revival, a corporate revival could be birthed that would shake his people. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 57 through 66. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Remember, culture is always oppressive. Culture is always oppressive. Some of us are not experiencing revival because we are under the oppression of culture. 
No one has that name. You can't name him John. He's supposed to be an accountant. That's what everybody in Durban does when they go to school, right? Every teenager I talk to at school, what are you going to be? I want to be an accountant. You guys didn't like that very much, so I'm going to keep going. There's no one among your relatives who have that name. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name his child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. He finally decided to be the mouthpiece for what God had been saying. And in that moment, immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wonder, wondered about it, saying, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. See, revival is birthed through those who are willing to actively participate with God. Revival comes out of anticipation and it comes through, and it comes through as we anticipate, as we are willing to participate. Revival is birthed among God's people. Zechariah had to participate with what God was saying so that he could be the avenue through which God would birth revival. Now, to not get too graphic, he had to participate in the promise that God said, I'm old, my wife's old, this doesn't make sense. But hey, they made it make sense, right? Hello? It's in scripture. I'm not trying to just be. He had to participate with the promise. He had to physically participate with what God said. He had to speak up and he had to declare what was counter to culture. What everyone said, that should be your namesake. That should be Zechariah. God says, no, that's going to be John. Zechariah had to come into alignment no matter what culture said, and his name is John. He is a prophet to the nations. You want to just close your eyes for a moment. Lord, I thank you. Because you're doing something real among your people. I thank you. Because God, you desire to birth something in us. And to birth something through us. Lord, and there are many of us in this room who have stubbornly resisted the plan of God. And there's some of us in this room who it's not so much that we're just being stubborn. There's some of us who just carry such deep hurt over those things that have not happened or those things that have happened in our life that we just can't see it. And Lord, yet as your people, as your people, As people of faith, Lord, there should be anticipation in us that at any moment, our God, the Lion of Judah, our Christ, our Redeemer, the one who is above all, can and will show up and shift our reality. 
But Lord, when we come, it's not business as usual. It's not our opportunity to perform. But when we come to you, we come with anticipation that you are God, that you are working on our behalf and that you have the power to shift our reality. Would you begin to stir within the hearts of your people? Would you begin to stir within the hearts of your people a spirit of anticipation that when we come, that when we come every day at our daily 20, we expect that you're gonna show up that God, when we pray for our friend or we pray for our neighbor or we pray for ourselves, or our family member, God, may something rise up inside of us that we begin to anticipate that the creator of all things is about to invade our space and is about to change our reality. Lord, may we not be like those who just go through the motions, who just go through the motions of reading their Bible every day. But when I read it every day, may I expect that you're gonna show up and that the logos is gonna become the rhema, that your word is gonna become living, that it's gonna become alive, that I'm going to encounter a living God who has spoken and is still speaking to his people that your word that your bible isn't boring but that it is alive and speaking to me god stir anticipation in on us that when i come to a service I don't come just to go through the motions I don't come to hear others perform I don't come I don't come just because it's the place to be, but when we come together, we expect that our God, our living God is going to be among us. Lord, I pray, I pray, may we not just anticipate their move, but Lord, may we bend our knee, may we bend our knee May we yield ourselves to participate in what you're doing this morning. Thank you, Lord, for every person that's here. Lord, I bless them in the name of Jesus. God, as we go about our week, as we prayed earlier, may we be aware of the opportunities to minister to others. God, I pray that you give us wisdom in how we can serve, how we can grow your kingdom. We pray this week that, Lord, your spirit would be real and powerful in the conference. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to serve well as a community. Lord, I bless your people in all that they do. I bless your people as they go. And I ask you, Lord, let your presence go with them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.